Hi, I'm Eddie. I run a comic shop and publish my own comic strip. And I'm Roger, and I run a comic shop and my very own Comic-Con. And I'm Joe, a lifelong fan who does all the real work to make our show go. Every week, we'll discuss the newest insider info that you won't get from your favorite comics and talk to some of our favorite creators and publishers. So come take a peek behind the counter with Tales from the Comic Shop, part of the Geek Nerd Network. Weekly on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Think of the children. Like the guy says, you're gonna eat lightning and you're gonna drop thunder. I'm paid to fool. This one, if he dies, he dies. Oh, oh, somebody please think of the children. I just want to say one thing to my wife was home. I think you can kiss your trade franchise goodbye. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye, the movie podcast where we normally talk about movie franchises, but sometimes, just sometimes, when one of the panelists has a birthday, we let them pick whatever damn movie they want that's not in a franchise. And JB Flinders, it's your birthday coming up. And you picked maybe the most <laughs> we've ever covered. You can tell how I feel about my birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, everyone. Um, weirdly enough, this is sort of, I mean, it's a studio kind of franchise, right? But not a franchise of a movies because. Yeah, I guess, I guess in the sense that like Studio Ghibli is a sort of franchise itself. That's like. Oh, it's the, the same way. It's like, oh, it's the new Pixar movie, right? It's the new Ghibli movie. Sure, yeah. yeah. So i i uh, I will say, I had never seen this. I have a list of top animated films, uh, foreign animated films that have won awards that I have not seen. So, as you remember from the last episode, we talked a lot about some of those, like Persepolis, and um, but because I've been playing a game called The Ghost of Tsushima this kind of seemed to be a natural transition. So it is not an easy watch. I, Andy, I think you and I kind of were talking about it. Like it's the animated Schindler's list um, yeah. in, in terms of difficulty to watch. Yeah. I think that's a fair comparison. Um, before we get too far into this, let's make sure we do a quick round of intros for everyone else. Who's here from our normal crew causing all sorts of tech problems. No, not really. Uh, Brookheim, how you doing? Good, how are you guys? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I I am going to get the technical stuff under control, but I am, quote, happy, unquote, to be here. I don't, oh. I don't know if we can be happy about this movie, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know if happy is the right word. But someone who's going to give us all sorts of knowledge on this, our returning champ, Melissa. Melissa, Woo! how are you doing? Yeah, I'm about to shit all over your birthday movie. <laughs> and I'm just and, sorry in advance. And the that Super Bowl. Yeah. On my movie and the Super Bowl. So yeah. everybody get ready. <laughs> and the Spurs and Jazz chances to win a title this year. So we're gonna we're gonna let everybody have it. <laughs> Boy, everything's depressing, isn't it? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> and this is a brother and sister story so happy to have my my sibling along on the ride here 
uh, Kit. Kit, how you doing? Um, I have on we. Yeah. How how um, are you? Uh, yeah, super ennui. <laughs> this, yeah. That just made this movie a lot worse. Thinking about the two of you having to go through it. Oh, yeah. Nice work, Andy. <laughs> No, I, uh, my ennui is not related to that. Although, uh, you know, there's some like existential dread going on. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like that is the tone of like 2020 to 2023. Yeah. Um, it's not war, although uh, we're not dealing with war, but there are wars. Uh, but, so, like, so when we... Because Andy, that's what's really interesting about this. Because you read all the stuff on it, and and Melissa, I'm sure you'll get into this. I didn't get that this movie was about war per se, right? It was more mm. about how crappy humanity is when faced with circumstances that should make you a little more prone to helping humanity. I mean, sure, war was the cause of it, but it's like we talked about before we got on here. Humanity still doesn't treat humanity well. Most, no. you know, in a lot of cases. So I thought it was really interesting because, again, I read up on it before I watched it and I went, this is really unique that because the director said, you know, this isn't an anti-war film. This is a this is a story about the social isolation and a lack of connection. Right. Mm-hmm. And as I watched it, I went, mm-hmm. you know, that's not wrong. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, Melissa, culturally, I, I kind of wondered if if that was just, you know, tying into what you were going to talk about the experience of how it was, um, you know, with, with what you experienced there. Not quite. Um, look on the surface, this movie, it's, it's very well done. Like if I can separate my angst about something else that I'll bring up in a minute, this is a well-made movie and I can see how affecting it is and, and why it would be to people. Um, but for me, my experience was very different because um, I had the opportunity in the late nineties in 99. And it's funny, JB, you brought up the Spurs because it was like a week after they won their first NBA championship. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, I, in 1999, they beat the Knicks. And then about a week later, I was on a plane to Japan um, and I got to spend two, almost three weeks there. And it was, amazing and ever since i've been very much into a lot of things japanese i'm not into like manga and and um anime you know um those really aren't my thing but uh just the like art and culture and food and and the history and that's where my different take i guess you could say what comes from um i got to travel what one of the places i got to travel to in, in japan was hiroshima which, of course, is one of the sites of, of one of the atomic bombs that right. the United States let loose. I went to Ground Zero. I saw that hole in the in the ground. I went to the Peace Museum, which is right within walking distance. And the Peace Museum there, very much like its title suggests, very much tries to say that we should be peaceful. And that's the whole doctrine of Japanese uh, the Jap- the new Japanese constitution that was written after World War II and everything it was about pacifism. One of the things, though, that struck me that I couldn't shake while I was going through this museum, um, there were things like um, like they took a whole brick wall, right, that didn't that didn't get blasted, 
And because of the nuclear content, I guess, it, or the radiation or something, this you see a shadow permanently on this wall of a person who died um, during the, the bombing. And they have things like human skin that looks like a catcher's mitt, like, like, like leather, because that's what it was turned into by the bomb. Um, just things that look unimaginable to you, you know, and it's supposed to kind of frighten you into being scared that this could happen again. And it, it's very effective at that. But the thing that I couldn't shake and I, and, and for months afterwards, I wondered if it was just because I had a very Western American point of view about World War II, but I don't think that's it. And the thing that I couldn't shake is that they never, ever took responsibility for that bomb. I know it was us, the United States, that put it on them, but we were not a part of the war until they bombed Pearl Harbor. I'm not saying two wrongs make a right necessarily, but you can't do an atrocity like Pearl Harbor and not expect retribution. I, I don't understand why they don't fess up to their culpability in it. They never, they give no context for the bomb. Do you understand what I'm saying? They totally. Don't, yeah. And I've looked into it in the years since, because this was in 1999, y'all. We're talking almost a quarter of a century ago, okay? And I was very young. I was like 23 or something. I mean, you know, I know that now I'm 46 and things I, look different to me, but that's not one of them. I still feel the same way because I've looked into it and... um. A lot of Japanese people don't understand their culpability in World War II. There's a, a whole generation of people who don't even know that they were a part of the Axis, that have never heard of Pearl Harbor except in passing. And, and not just World War II, atrocities that the Japanese imperialist army yeah. did in Korea, in China. Yeah, that's the, is, yeah. That's things the that they glaze over, if yeah. that, in their history books. And I wanted to just, I, I did some research because I was like, you know, I'm remembering this from like 20 years ago and I want to make sure I'm still right. And unfortunately it's worse than I thought now. Okay. So Nanjing, there's this event called the rape of Nanjing in China. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Chinese say 300,000 were killed and many women were gang raped by Japanese soldiers. But as I, um, but as I, and this is the author of the article saying, but as I spent six months researching all sides of the argument, I learned that some in Japan deny the incident altogether. Uh, Nobukatsu Fujioka is one of them and the author of one of the books that I read as part of my research. It was a battlefield, so people were killed, but there was no systemic massacre or rape, he says. The Chinese government hired actors and actresses pretending to be the victims when they invited some Japanese journalists to write about them. Does that sound familiar Whoa, to you? What does that sound like? Yeah, geez. Does that sound familiar? The nationalism they brought Trump to power in this country is happening in Japan. Yeah. And because the history books barely mention or don't mention at all, all these atrocities, not just World War II, but even before that, um, they're, they're ripe to believe some idiot like this, you know, because, well, we've never heard of that. It wasn't in our history books, so it must be, you know, they think it's anti-Japanese sentiment from foreigners, especially Chinese and Korean foreigners. Um, 
And more and more people are believing this idiot. He's like their Donald Trump, y'all. And the thing that makes this worse, okay, about a month ago, the prime minister of Japan visited the White House and they agreed to let Japan start expanding their military, something they have not allowed since the end of the war. Because they see China and North Korea as such a threat, they want a, a power, a big military power in in that part of Asia to do our bidding. So they're allowing the Japanese to expand their military to pre-war size. All the while the nationalism is taking over that country and people are clueless about their past. So what do we say about the past? That if we forget about it, we're doomed to repeat it. Mm -hmm. That's my worry about Japan right now. And movies like this, where there's no context for what's happening to these people, that's the kind of movie that these nationalists used to show that that uh, Japan is the victim instead of the aggressor. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. And so watching this film, all I could do was think about these nationalists, these people, these Trumpian Japanese people who are trying to spread the lies. They're basically like Holocaust deniers in Germany. Yeah. Do you understand? And we're allowing them to expand their military. We have nationalism on the rise. They don't know about their past or refuse to accept their responsibility for it. It's a recipe for disaster. And I know that the intentions of the filmmakers and the man who wrote the book upon which it's based, I understand this was not their intention. But when you show Japanese in wartime as victims and there's no context for what happened, it, this is, can be used as propaganda. So that's, I can't, it, I can separate it a bit. I know this is a good movie on its own merit, but it's very hard for me. It was very hard for me to watch this. I had to stop it and go back because it would make me so angry. Um, it's weird yeah. though, because I mean, the whole premise of his character, Seta, is the nationalism, right? Like the shunning of help, the the dependence on the military and it's kind of like at the end, he finds out well, that was all a lie, right? It was all false. They they had lost from the beginning and all he had done is really, you know, got himself killed and his sister. So, I mean, I kind of see it. But at the same time, I wonder if it's not overt enough that they were trying to say, you know, all of this pomp and circumstance about the you know the nationalist way and and putting your faith in the the navy and stuff it, it wasn't there i mean again i because i don't have the history that you did melissa so that's probably where i i saw it as that other side but i can i mean i can totally see where like you said there has to be more context mm -hmm. right of of how these things work because i mean we have those movies too like you said there's there's stuff that they show here that if you don't know and your history books don't share anything with you, yeah. it's, it's scary to, to think what you, could, what you could be seeing. Anyway, that's really I, interesting. And thanks for sharing that, Melissa, to your, your experience. Yeah. I, yeah, I was like, I really, I really like that. And it, it's like when you were talking about that, I was thinking about the Holocaust museum that I've been to it at the Smithsonian and how it's not, I'm not going to say it's sterile, in comparison to visiting Auschwitz, mm -hmm. but it's sterile in 
in comparison to visiting Auschwitz. There's a difference in like being in a room where people were placed in showers and seeing a room full of hair. And I'm talking about like the size of maybe like a classroom that in our high school full of hair that was shaved off people for like that's still there almost you know 80 years later and now like at a photo of that there's a big difference um and there's a you know and there's a difference between reading it in a book and seeing it and reading it from different people's perspectives and like i felt like when i was watching this that it was less about like war and propaganda than like that war and bad circumstances separate people and i feel like you know that was kind of maybe the you know the the artistic showing of it because it's like you know that these kids aren't really don't appear don't appear to live in a military town right mm -hmm. we're just not seeing bases get bombed we're not seeing um or hearing about factories getting bombed and it's like so it's like you know it's like normal quote-unquote people are you know are the ones who suffer in in wartime and it's it's so sad because like it you know whenever there's a breakdown in human kindness it does become systemic and like when you have that lead into something like nationalism then you get something like nazis and trump um and it's just it's not good but seeing this it it was just so hard to watch because like it, it feels a bit close to home um in the like trying you know how growing up in a, in a you know at least in the in the mormon culture of like you you know you always take care of the the people around you and seeing that break down um and how that just made me incredibly sad but but Asterisk, you take care of the Mormon. Exactly. People. And that's what I was going to say, Andy. And that was very evident in this movie too, right? Mm -hmm. You take care of the people who follow the, the, I, the dictum. Or who, yeah. Who are, yeah. who are in the system. And, and it's like, and that really yeah. kind of became more apparent as these kids get more and more isolated. Um, and yeah, yeah, but, but, but Melissa, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's like that this is, this is a piece of art and it, you know, you can look at art and see one thing, but you can also take art and twist it into something mm -hmm. completely that it was not made to be used for. Yeah. 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 And it's unfortunate, you know, yeah. because it is a good movie. It just, it's so hard for me to sit back and enjoy it. It was very uncomfortable for me because um, thinking about like, uh, like, like comfort women, have y'all ever heard that phrase? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so during um, imperialist Japan's reign, uh, they took Korean women into sexual slavery. They just, um, they were called comfort women. What a nice term, right? It sounds like, but it's just, you know, them raping these women over and over again uh, for their own pleasure and amusement. And it wasn't till, and this was happening in the 30s and 40s, and it wasn't till like 93 that the Japanese government officially apologized and then they tried to like walk it back ever since 
because culturally it's very hard for Japanese to, uh, you know, to admit wrongdoing. And that's part of the issue here. You know, um, they, they just don't want to admit their culpability in things. And, and, and a piece of art like this can get twisted and used for nefarious purposes. And, and it's just, um, you know, it, it's just too bad because this is an excellent way to show people the isolation and hell of war and how, and these two kids were innocent. They, yeah. they were not the emperor who would refuse to surrender even as his people suffered and died of starvation. It, it, that's not them. You know, they're kids and their, their parents were dead and their aunt kind of rejected them, which by the way, I, that was like a hairpin turn with that. aunt. I, I, that was crazy, like how quickly she she turned on them. Um, but that's probably something that does happen in war. You know, even your relatives, you know, you're only looking out for yourself. And and I've read where that happened. That happens a lot in war in general, but especially during World War II in Japan, um, because there's like this kind of self reliance thing that you know this pride. Um, you know, if you if you have extra mouths to feed, you can't feed yourself. And there's like this pride or something. So it's, there's a lot of really wonderful lessons to be learned from this movie. It's just, I don't know. I I think Japan is a ticking time bomb right now, potentially. And, and we're helping them by the way, as an ally this time, it become that. And, and so, you know, it, it, it just it just reminds me, like, if we try to pretend, and this is happening, by the way, in lots of places, including here in Texas, if we try to deny our national shame, which to me is slavery, if we try to, you know, cleanse it and whitewash it from the history books, or imagine German, you know, um, Nazi Germany um, never being mentioned in current German textbooks, and they just forget about it. You know what I mean? Like, Well, that's- and that's exactly what this whole, like banning uh ap african-american studies Mm -hmm. in florida is Mm -hmm. and you know like how often do we talk about the shame of you know interning uh japanese citizens in internment camps Mm -hmm. in in the desert during world war ii how often do we talk about the indigenous people we forced into schools and stole their culture and murdered many of them Mm -hmm. and like kids kids in these schools who died because we we took them away from their families and their culture and and forcibly assimilated them like it's and and i think that's my broader point like melissa you're absolutely right japan japan has a problem the u.s has a problem Mm -hmm. india has a huge problem modi in india is like one of the scariest people on the planet Mm -hmm. israel really scary right now the philippines the philippines Mm -hmm. really scary turkey really scary i don't want you guys to think i'm picking on japan because yeah you know i'm not i just somehow they get a pass like if, if germany was did this stuff where they didn't atone for the for for world war ii and and for the the holocaust can you imagine the backlash i don't know why japan gets a pass i, I well I it's it's because they assimilated to hypercapitalism and became good little cogs in that machine 
I guess. Like, yeah. and, and the same, and, like, it feels like Germany's atonement was more, like, I don't know, purposeful and cultural, and they actually did change. It feels like Japan mm-hmm. became this hyper-capitalist neo-colony of the U.S., and then we really didn't care that they were ultra-nationalist or anything anymore because they were manufacturing our cars and they were our ally. And now they were standing up against, uh, you know, communism and... Germany pretty good with their history, though, too. Like, <laughs> they ca- they call it out pretty well. Yeah. So there is that. Where they're, they're pretty honest with, yeah, um, we're... we're going to really try not to do that again right? and they had an additional 40 years of a you know forceful partition yeah. down the middle of their country that you know inflicted its own scars so yeah i mean they're because they're they're not any less hyper capitalist in in some ways right andy i just yeah i feel like they really owned like the the recent generations at least i mean again and there's the same problems there that there are everywhere but like the sense you get is they they really did go we're not going to take it out of our history books. We're not going to, yeah. you know, we're not going to hide it. We're going to be very upfront with, um, you know, in, in well, comedy and drama and all kinds of things. They're like, yeah, that was us. So we, we and, got it. and they have limits on their freedom of speech that like, you can't talk about white supremacy, uh, legally out in the open, uh, the same way that you can in the United States. But what's like, terrifying is there is a new Nazi party and they are getting there is. They are scary. in their parliament. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's terrifying what's yep. happening in this world for real. Well, it's, it, and that's the thing is it's everywhere mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, I, we see it in a lot of places where it's most scary, but it's like, but I, I feel like that is the soul of this movie is that actually what is important is how we take care of each other at the local level and our humanity like at the at the small level it's because... it is it's funny right andy because we we took we have this great conversation and really it's a story about a man's guilt right because he mm-hmm. lived and his sister died mm-hmm and you know he was he uh, like some of the, the guy who wrote the who wrote yeah the, the guy who wrote the short story and he was yeah. the one who ate first and his sister didn't she died he felt guilty so so it's really fascinating like you said Andy this is this is a sh- this is a short story from one person's point of view and how much thematically comes from it right it's really interesting and I think there are people within Japanese culture who who are trying to be the other side of this. And um, I was going to save this for later for when we talked about the box office, but the way that this was packaged in Japan was it was a double feature with another Studio Ghibli film, My Neighbor Totoro. Oh, wow. Uh, you got to be kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you. They were Now released. I feel extra awesome because I wore my Totoro like... <laughs> <laughs> shawl it's basically like wearing a totoro blanket all around right. you to get through the feels of this movie yeah and so I was, it's nice to know that that's, you know i had a little throwback that was that's happening. awesome i well, hope this was and, the second film not the first film 
Yeah. yeah I hope they, it was Totoro then this, because otherwise, damn. Yeah, they were they were packaged together in theaters because they thought that's how they could get people in to see Grave of the Fireflies is they'll get, you know, they'll they'll have both of them. And Totoro is like Studio Ghibli's like Mario. They're they're huge. They're everywhere in in Japan. And and Miyazaki and and this is my broader point is that Miyazaki has gone on in his other films to I feel be far more pointed in pointing out the foolishness of violence and war and and the the hyper capitalism and hyper materialism of of Japanese culture um his most recent film the wind rises uh i think is a great counterpoint to the rougher edges of grave of the fireflies because it it is about this main character jiro who all he wants to do is design beautiful airplanes and then suddenly his beautiful airplane designs are being taken from him and being used by the Japanese war machine and the Germans. And he's like, all I wanted to do was create something beautiful. And, you know, and now it's being used for evil and trying to wrestle with that. And I, I think that is a, a beautiful, beautiful film. And it's, it might be my favorite Miyazaki film for that. Wow. reason. Um, really? Yeah, that's a hot take. That is, I I like that. Yeah, I really, I really like, I really like uh, The Wind Rises. Also a beautiful love story. This piece is really interesting in that there is, I mean, I've done a lot of research on nationalism. I, I switched my major in college from being that of music to being that of history and specifically studying uh native american and and african studies and in the process of that studied world war ii a lot studied japan a lot have have visited and traveled to a lot of these places in different countries and um i found this piece really interesting for a lot of the same reasons that melissa did as far as like the continuing denial of why they were involved in the war and why they were bombed and uh, the backlash of Pearl Harbor and, and the nuclear bombs and these different things. I've, I've looked into that a lot and I found this piece interesting one in that it came out in 1988 and um, all of what it could have meant, but I liked that it was done on such a small scale of just this brother and sister. I liked the storytelling of it because to me, I think it really called out attention to something that I don't think they're really that free to talk about in Japan and that it was their fault and that it was a result of different actions. I mean, the way that, that they are playfully running along the beach together and he looks up and he goes, Oh, kamikazes. And then they go right back to playing, I think was actually a much louder social statement than what we've been talking about it as. I feel like um, 
coupling this with Totoro, I think that making this something that is animated was kind of a way of opening up the back door and saying, there's some real shit going on in our culture that we're not taking accountability for. And, and here's some of the backlash of it. I mean, just starting out the way that it did of saying, wow, these, these peasants are, they deserve to be dying. Basically. I felt like it was a very subtle way of saying, does that feel right to you? Does it feel right to you that, that we're saying that these children deserve to die without food in the way that he's dying? Does that feel right to you? Because we all have a part of this and we all have a hand in it. And, and maybe it was very subtle and maybe I read into things that, that weren't there, but I felt as I watched it, um, I felt like it was a way of calling attention to the fact that they're not taking accountability for things. I felt like it was a way of calling attention nationally through an animated film in 1988 that there's a lot of improvement that needs to be made and a lot of uh, responsibility even down to the small townspeople who weren't involved in the big military decisions to go to war, but that there needs to be an accountability in community and an accountability in, in social status and an accountability for what we are all creating and contributing to the bigger picture that hasn't been happening. And if we don't do that, then all the way down to the most innocence of our culture are going to suffer. And I, I don't know, I felt like it is a systemic problem. And I, I didn't feel like that was being looked over by this film i felt like it was bringing attention to it yeah i think i think there's that too there's many many facets to this film and I and obviously that's... not on like a national level right but i felt like the filmmakers were like hey i think this is something that should be seen and talked about yeah. and so if we take pieces of art like this much like we do the others that we've talked about through these films of let's watch this movie, but then let's discuss it with each other. Let's discuss it with our children. Let's discuss it as a society and a culture. I, like this is the perfect film to do that with. And so was that intentional or did they just get lucky? I don't know. I can't speak to that. <laughs> as I watched it, I thought what a beautiful piece of art to watch and then get to talk about because it can pull attention to these things that, are so often overlooked like Hiroshima was so big and so bad I think it's like Melissa said they often get a pass for their involvement in Pearl Harbor and and all the things that they pushed forward because of the retribution being so horrific but that shouldn't be the case and and, and what a great opening of the door to be able to talk about that I don't know maybe I saw it wrong I don't think there's like a wrong way to see it. I agree. I agree with Melissa. Yeah. I'm just glad everybody likes my depressingly awful movies. (laughs) Just have birthday. Did did we say that we liked it, (laughs) Jamie? I was waiting for that. I don't think anybody said they liked this movie. I was depressed before I watched this movie. So like, this was just like baseline for me. It's like, oh yeah. Okay. You know, it's kind of like we talked about earlier how they made this movie is amazing. Like the, mm-hmm. I was texting with Andy as I was watching it and I went, there are some shots in this film that you will never see in another film. 
it's like like the firefly oh. bit the part where he's they, yes you know he's his he starts crying and he bows his head while his sister is playing in front of him i mean there are some shots in this film that are soul crushing and you all know i don't get my soul crushed very often in films so yeah there are some scenes that are just embedded in my head and, and i don't know andy or if you had some that you were thinking of but if if any of of you know, the rest of you had some scenes again, some that I just have never seen pulled off in other. Yeah. For, I mean, you mentioned the, the firefly bit that just, I look at that and like my brain melts a little bit thinking about how difficult that would be to animate and like that process and making the light and the shadows work and the, painstaking process of it it just um it's like that's something that we can take for granted a little bit today with like computer animation and and digital effects and things like that would be much easier to do but like doing that hand drawn hand painted in the 1980s is just like like I said, it, it melts my brain and I have just mad respect for it. And I, I think that that's the things that like jump out at me are usually like, Oh, look at the, look at the backgrounds, look at the night sky and like the way they animated all of the stars and um, the way that they handle the, the rain and the, yeah. um, you know, it's just, there's there's just a lot of craft in in all of that ebert talked about it he said you know the the films like this people think they're manipulative but he says if you really think about it it's i think he calls it a pillow shot where it's it's thematic and and there's these these breaks almost like in conversation where Mm -hmm. it allows you to make your speculation or kind of be in the moment with the character Right. And this film has so many of those, like Mm -hmm. when they're in the bathtub and he's popping the bubbles in front of her. And when they go to the beach, right, there's there is legitimate moments of joy. And then, of course, sadness in in this film. And they're just parts that you feel. Right. So anyway, I I thought how they did it was really interesting over a, a fairly brief story. Right. Yeah. I thought that that scene, um, when he's trying to cheer her up by doing yeah. the the spins on the bar. Yeah. And she's just sitting there sobbing. Like nothing is going to change this for her. Yeah. And he just keeps spinning and they zoom out of it. Like that scene is so powerful. Yeah. And and it just says so very, very much about about those interactions and 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 also the scene where like these impacts that things have on us as children right like her like the pain that you can tell that she's going to carry inside by not getting to see her mother and say goodbye and then him seeing his mother and the pain that he's going to carry for having had that experience i thought that was another really powerful scene that they created of of what that story would be had she you know lived longer what would have been told from it one thing that was really affecting though, I think is like 
the way um, they were in the, the a cave, I guess you call it already. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first few days were almost idyllic. They were on their own. They didn't have to worry about their, their aunt being terrible to them. Um, you know, they had food and they had the fireflies, which just visually stunning all those fireflies and how they, they did that. But then as time wore on, you know, the malnutrition started to hit her. And when he was like combing the lice out of her hair, and then we saw for the first time the skin on her back and how, how raw it looked because she was malnutrition. It just like, even though it's animated, they could still show like the horror of starvation in that way. It, it just was so well drawn and so well done it it just really gut punches you if you have any kind of feelings, you know what I mean? Like it, when they do stuff like that, it's hard to separate the humanity of anything, I think, unless you're just closed off emotionally. And so just seeing him and him kind of, I think he knew that she was probably, you know, dying and yet he just would not quit. And it, it was, yeah, it was hard to watch. Yep. I I also like I think it was important for me to when I had like the pop in my head where it's like his aunt is mad because the girl is crying and like she's just intermittently crying for what seems like no reason. It's like, "Oh, she's crying because they're starving." Yep. Like she cannot regulate anymore because she is so hungry. And like, I think that that kind of became much more apparent when they are at the seaside and you see how thin they are. Where it's like, usually when kids are are animated, they don't have those angles. And so it's like, oh, wow, these kids are like seriously starving. And so I guess I'm glad that they didn't try to do a live action version of this because I think it would be terrible to see kids look like that even if it was for, for just with makeup um yeah because it's like nobody nobody wants to be like hey you know let's have christian bale come and starve himself and then play a kid in the firefly movie um yeah but it's just it's just bad because you know i think everybody can kind of find a place something to identify with because you know everybody with the exception of very few people, like everybody's faced adversity, everybody's been hungry, everybody's struggled financially. But to like see it be in this system where it's like they have money, they have money, but they cannot buy food because there's no food to buy. And so they have to steal. And then like what he thought I think was supposed to be like this vast fortune, like their parents' life savings, and he spends half of it on a week's worth of groceries. Like that. And so it's like, I think that the, like how they were willing to try to make this just really go for the gut emotionally was not necessarily something I liked about this movie, but something I can respect. And yes, the craft is beautiful, but it was not easy to watch. No. No, not at all. Yeah, I think we use like in the artistic sense, definitely not in the approval sense, right? Right. But, I mean, I said 
to you, JB. Like I, I, I don't remember when I watched this the first time, but I didn't, I never am like, Oh, I want to rewatch that. Whereas like Totoro or princess Mononoke or spirited away. I'm like, yeah, let's throw that on. That's a good time. That's a good watch. Like, let's go see that again. Um, you know, this, uh, it's like, yeah, great. Don't need to watch that again anytime soon. Yeah. So, I mean, Schindler's yeah. List may be the best movie I ever saw, and you won't catch me watching that again. I mean, un- unless I have to watch it for a podcast or something. But yeah. same thing. I mean, the most moving film I've ever seen, right? Well, amazingly crafted, amazingly well done. But yeah, you don't you don't flip it on. It doesn't come on TNT and you stop what you're doing. Yeah. So this, this movie is very similar to that. Yeah. I might be soulless. What? I might have no soul. Cause I didn't, you didn't, you want I didn't, this for Christmas. Yeah. After I watched it, I thought I would absolutely watch this with Brew. <laughs> oh yeah. No. And I, I mean, didn't, I wasn't actually that upset by the movie. I had my issues with it. I had, um, I don't, it didn't make me feel incredibly emotional. I don't know why. It's kind of like that. We talked about that, right, Brooke? I, I didn't feel, I mean, I was emotional, but I was sick. Like I, I'm, I, I get sick with movies where humanity treats other humanity bad. Like I was just disturbed and disgusted that people acted that way. But yeah, I mean, I wasn't the, the parts that were joyous. I, I felt the joy. The parts that were sad, I felt the sadness. But not to where, yeah. you know, I turned it off and and carried it the rest of the day. It was more of, I just really wish people were better to each other. And Kit, you kind of brought that up. It'd be really nice if we just, when times were tough, we sought out the people who needed our help, and you know, did did what we could. And, and I th- so Brooke, I think that I'm I'm with you on that. I I I like the idea of. I would watch it again with people who would get value from the lesson. Yeah. But yeah, I, I probably wouldn't channel surf and, and keep it on. Yeah. Might be the only thing. I think I felt like for me, the most upsetting thing about it. And I think this has been said already by everyone um, is that we're not better yet. Yeah. That as, as yeah. humanity, we're not doing better yet that we're not, caring for each other better that that i've been working like tirelessly over the last two weeks with a company or not company a a nonprofit called the nomad alliance to try to get supplies and wood to the homeless populations here in salt lake that are literally freezing and dying on the streets and that people don't care and and so maybe emotionally i'm a little tapped um by just the callousness of what is currently existing all around us. And like being told by Girl Scout leaders, well, we'd rather our girls be involved with something that's going to teach them about legislature as, as opposed to humanity that legislature is supposed to be for. And so I think that was the hardest part of watching this movie for me was watching it and knowing we're just not doing better. And how sad that's, I mean, that's the crux of it for me too, is it's Mm -hmm. just like, Oh, this is terrible. This is still exactly how we are today. Okay. Yay. Good talk. Um, 
as I as I mentioned, um, we actually do not have a box office for this. This did not ever get a uh, U.S. domestic release. It has been a part of several of the Studio Ghibli fests, which uh, come around every year, and they put um, five or six Studio Ghibli movies into into theaters with like Fathom events and uh, and. The one time they did that, it made $345,000. So uh, <laughs> it did not, um, it's it's never really had a U.S. release. But, I mean, I don't think this is a movie that uh, people would necessarily, like, go to in droves in the theater. So understandable. Uh, as I mentioned, in Japan, they did uh, pair it with, uh, with My Neighbor Totoro and... Totoro is still, I believe, in like the top 10 uh, grossing movies in Japan of all time uh, and is an incredibly popular movie. So and it's wonderful and a balm for your soul after watching um, after watching this. Uh, So that's great. Studio notes. Is there anything you would change about this movie necessarily? Melissa, I think to your point. I think I've already said. (laughs) Yeah. Just a little context. That's all. It can't be used as propaganda. And I think, you know, it, it, in some ways it would make it even more tragic because their government betrayed them. Their government did this to them. You know, they really are innocents in this. Yeah be a little more explicit with that i agree with that i mean there's probably some shots i could do without i wouldn't prefer not to see her dying with watermelon on her Mm. like i mean you have to show those shots but i think there's some shots where like i would just you know i they're hard to watch right um i i like melissa your point the ant does kind of turn pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So some more context about how they ended up, you know, all of a sudden they're very happy to go to the cave and I'm kind of like, yeah, she's mean to him, but like everybody's stressed and tired. And so, you know, some of the rationale between character decisions might've helped a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, okay, apologies. I do not have my list of questions in front of me because they're on my other computer. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll try to do this from memory. Uh, do we have a favorite side character? Hmm. Maybe the fireflies? Yeah, do the fireflies count? That's a. Like, this, this isn't a movie that lends itself to like side characters. Very much. Yeah, it's like the. I feel like the only vaguely likable side character was like the police inspector, where the guy's like, "This kid's been stealing my food," and the police inspector's like, "Yeah, you beat the shit out of him. You good? <laughs> yeah. Go yeah. away." Yeah, that's who I was gonna say, Kit. Because uh, yeah, I think everybody else was a main character. I feel like the the aunt. Like the more I thought about her, the like a little. I got a little bit more like 
empathy for her and the dreadful algebra of like having to deal with like trying to manage a household when there's nothing to give these people and like oh well so and so and so and so are working so i can rationalize this kind of this way in my head but yeah i i would not say i like her by any stretch of the imagination um, i did like the 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 village friend that told him about their mother to go see her and oh and yeah watched her oh. While, watch the daughter yeah. while he went and saw their mother for the first time in the way that she followed up and brought new shoes and there is yeah. there's a humanity there that could be short-lived because it had such a limited responsibility on it mm-hmm. um, but she was likable in those moments and who knows what would have happened if we had seen more of her facing the same struggles with limited resources and things like you just don't know about Any others? Okay, do we have a favorite quote? This isn't really a really quotable movie. But maybe. Again, I have no soul, but I liked the watermelon scene. And just just the um, the, the completeness of, of her sitting up and saying mm, this tastes good like i don't know that that particular moment for me was one of almost like her granting him leave of the situation right like thank you for this and i love yep. you and i thought that that moment was really powerful yeah I thought the aunt's quotes were interesting because she says something like, you got to eat to build a strong body and go to war, right? And then, you know, as Melissa said, the coin flips and she goes, you loafers expect to eat the same as those working for our country. And I think those are interesting quotes, right? Because we talked about that with, you know, the welfare system in certain religious organizations. What does make you worthy of resources, Right. Because it feels like every group has a different spectrum of when are you worthy of getting something? And I thought that was an interesting like this. This guy's taking care of his sister with both of his parents dead. And like, doesn't is that enough? Is it not enough? Like, where where do you draw the line of you're helping or you're not? Right. Um, and then I like her quote when she's burying the fireflies where she says, mom is in a grave too. Auntie told me. So, you know, basically I'm putting these fireflies in like I know mama is. Yes. Is there a best song? I don't think there are any songs in this. I mean, the score isn't bad, but I didn't. The score is okay. Yeah. yeah I don't know that there was anything. I don't think there was a song. though. Animated movies should have a song. Good, good. Get a studio note. Get, Have a get, happy. Bring Elton John and Alan Menken back together for yeah. you know that first slash second third time. The, that Where's song her Firefly sidekick? <laughs> oh, the, the, get little, 
little Ray. little Ray from yeah from from a uh, Princess and the Frog. Yep. I feel like that's the difference between Studio Ghibli and Disney. One hundred percent. Disney exactly. would have had like all this magical realism where she dying, but she talking to fireflies and they're singing to her, and it's so beautiful and it's okay that she dies. <laughs> No, she gonna go up to the sky with Evangeline. Yeah, yep. she, she probably would have had a fairy godmother bring her food right at the last minute. Yeah. That's what Disney would have done. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, or some other ending where they both don't die of starvation. Yikes. Um. Okay. Um. Is is the main character and i guess we could include both of them are they good people i they're children so i feel like sort of by definition they they are yeah i think like okay the, the one thing that really struck me it, it was um well there were a few things but remember towards the end of the movie um, in his desperation during the air raids, he would be running the opposite way because he would go and steal from people's houses while they were, you know, yep. trying to get shelter from the raids. Yep. And I think it would be really easy for some people to apply today's, you know, and and I'm not going to say non-war because, I mean, somewhere there's always a war, but like in our time here where we're not, you know, like in World War Two, people, you know, they sacrificed a lot and they were, you know, they went to work. The women went to work where they wouldn't normally work. And a lot of things changed, you know, um, people were asked to sacrifice. We're not being asked to sacrifice anything, even as we are involved in conflicts and stuff. So it's easy for us to like maybe say, oh, my God, look at him stealing from people who are doing just as bad and are starving and everything. But. In something like in this, it it's hard to assign good or bad to people and their actions out of desperation like this, you know? Totally. I don't think it made him a bad person. It just made him a desperate one who loved his sister and was trying to do everything he could to keep her alive. Yeah. Um, so do I think he's a good person? Yes. And the little girl's just too innocent to, I mean, you know, to be a bad person. She didn't do anything wrong, you know? Um, but even his actions as a the de facto adult here, um, I can't say he's a bad person, even though it was just chilling kind of watching him do that. I agree. I don't know that, you know, teenagers, as he is supposed to be, are by nature impulsive. So I don't know that it, okay. being impulsive makes you bad. Like Melissa said, I think he did what he could for survival. Um, his decisions didn't ultimately pay off, per se, but. He, you know, nobody really gave him the agency to make choices that might have been more correct, quote unquote. Right. So, I, yeah. yeah, I agree. I think he was the best person he could have been given what he was up against. So. And I mean, I think we made allowances for Aladdin. <laughs> so all those years ago when we did that, you know, got to oh, steal to eat, got to eat to live, tell you all yeah. about it when I got the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, they're they're fine. 
Um, okay. I guess, you know, the question, Andy, might be, is the ant a good person? Hmm. That's where I had the bigger struggle, you know, because like Kit, you said, everybody had to face something. And I think the movie tried to keep from making some people bad characters, right? They just tried to make them all trying to get by. Well, that, that was the character I struggled with. Is the ant a good person by, you know, withholding rations, you know, being uh, impatient? That, that was the character I struggled with. I mean, does being flawed in unprecedented times and not knowing how to manage them make you bad? Right, exactly. Yeah. And, like, and there is a, like, you know, as as Kit said, like, doing the algebra of, like, figuring out, oh, if I have two more mouths to feed around this household, like, that that means that what they eat, others are not eating. And that is, that's rough. And, like, what do we owe to each other in unprecedented times? Like, I... You know, I don't know. So it's like, is she is she a bad person? I don't know. Is she a person under a lot of stress? Absolutely. Um, I don't know. So, yeah. Okay. Um, is this a good movie? It's a it's a really I think good, it is. It's a really good movie. It's like, an artistically good movie. It's a hard movie I, to watch. I can see why it's both one of critics' best war movies and also one of their best animated. I I completely see it. Right. As as I said last week, it's it's tailor made for film critics to be like, oh, this is this is great art. Um, yeah, didn't you say that this is a great movie for critics to blow their wad to? I swear you said that once on a podcast. It's like one that they can about just... something else, not about this one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel weird about an animated movie about children starving. But right? I mean, like, crit- like you, there's movies where critics can obviously just be so happy they can say critical things about, you yeah. know, and this is one of those. Yeah. So it's like, oh, yeah, I can get to it actually dig into to it but yeah with with melissa's giant caveat i feel like that's the that's the big key here um and should we show this to children i'm gonna come back with it absolutely yes like it's tough but i feel like this is actually something that you should you should expose children to not young, young, young children, but you should have a conversation about it and talk about the real issues going on here. So, um, know the your children kid. listening to me talk about it. Want to watch it now and are curious uh, to, to experience and, and learn from it. So, yeah. So, well, thanks know. to everybody for watching it. I know I know I never pick um the most straightforward of movies. Um but I 
I got a lot out of this one. So thank you all for bearing with me for my birthday movie. Yeah. Uh, JB zigs and then he zags. Dead man. <laughs> Demolition man. Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah. Oh, never boy. Eat on Good. you. Yeah. Way to go. <laughs> if you ever say power of one, you're kicked off. Yeah. No. I'll take, I'll take that one. That was a, that was a big oops on me. <laughs> I'm being way too clever. For poor, da- poor Daniel Craig. Poor Daniel Craig. That's his first movie. Hmm. Um, okay. Next week. We got Creed. Yeah. Now we can start really having some fun. Um, and, and I can also report back. I've now, I've now watched all of the seasons of the wire and Friday night lights. Oh, that good. Jordan was in. So did you love the wire? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, so much so I, I kept going full bore into season two. So, you know, um, I know I, you loved Friday night's lights. Cause you, you, that's a classic. Yeah. I mean, <gasps> I, what? What? Uh Oh, don't the, say you're in Texas and you don't like football shows. No, I. No, I don't generally like high school football at all. Um, that I could have my Texas cart revoked for saying that. Um, but this show, mm-hmm. it's it's just different. Um, the the football's almost beside the point. It's it's what they use to bring all these different people together to sort of throw them together. Yeah, there's people that I like, but they're. It just, especially in season four and five, which are the Michael B. Jordan seasons, there's so many characters and I'm just like bored by like Matt Saracen. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just like, do I really care about this? It's like, I don't know. There's like half the cast I care about intensely and half that I just don't and it's like why are there 20 characters in this show like give me seven characters and yeah focus on them more because i care about their stories a lot i do agree that showing like sarah sin and what's her face in college i had no interest in any of that i wish they would have just stayed with the high school kids i think that would have made it better and yeah so i do agree with that um but I disagree vehemently that it's boring. <laughs> well, okay. I was bored. It's The show is not boring. I'm bored by Matt Saracen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can understand that. Okay. Yeah. And and maybe if I go back and I watch the the seasons where it's about him and he's the, the underdog, then I'll, like, root for him more. But since I was just there for, for Michael B. Jordan. I'll get to that eventually. But no, good show. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed The Wire. Um, that's a show that like can take over your life, I feel like. <laughs> it's like, oops, now I'm really deep in The Wire and I will not stop talking about it. So I'm avoiding that as much as possible. Um, yeah, but we're talking about Creed because Creed is a great movie. And over on the Patreon, um, we are going to watch Fruitvale Station, uh, which is 
as as Lords of Flatbush is to Rocky, so Fruitvale Station is to Creed. Uh, so, um, wow, kind of a guess, a segue. I'm not so sure. About that. <laughs> Except, except that Fruitvale Station is a really good movie, and Lords of Flatbush is not. So, uh, Fruitvale Station also no boxing. If I yeah. remember, well, I mean, Lords of Flatbush didn't have any boxing. Yeah, fair. So they just had just, a bunch of people who look like they boxed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. True. Uh, okay. Well, I'm glad. Um, I'm glad we're keeping the trend of watching. Um, sad movies i guess if we're going with fruitvale right after this uh yes also a very depressing sad movie but um that that is what it is anyway so uh go check that out um go check out roy's podcast over on yours mine and theirs and uh that's that's it unless anybody else has anything else to plug please san antonio spurs stop trading people Please, Utah Jazz, stop trading people. And I believe for Melissa, go Chiefs. Uh, I mean, by the time this comes out, we'll, we will have no <laughs> It'll be like... But yeah. Okay. <laughs> Darn it. Uh, <laughs> the trade deadline I, will be over and the Super Bowl will be over. <laughs> I just hope everybody has a good time. Mm. I mm. hope the nachos are good mm. for everyone. And the yes. chicken wings. Yep. Okay. Bye, everybody. Have a wonderful week. Bye. Thank you. That will be all. God damn it. That's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important... You can just kiss all that goodbye. This show is part of the Geek Nerd Network. Geek Nerd Network. Find more shows like it at geeknerdnetwork.com. This is Janet.